Um, thanks for everybody coming and learn with us this evening. So we've been doing a few shiurim focusing on individual tilim, and I wanted to spend some time going back to another interlude, really a way of introducing uh, a whole bunch of Tehillim, some of the most poignant and um, pressing lines in Tehillim, uh, lines that really go directly to your heart in Tehillim. Are, I think the best way to introduce them would be by explaining the concept of the minhag, really, of Tikkun Chatzos. Uh, what is Tikkun Chatzos? What's the significance of Tikkun Chatzos? And the interplay between Tikkun Chatzos and the recitation of Tehillim, which obviously forms a very important role in the liturgy of the Tikkun Chatzos, but they're connected on a spiritual level as well. And um, that's something that I want to try and begin to explain tonight. And uh, I think in, uh, in, in answering the question, if this is a Tehillim share, why are we going to spend any time on Tikkun Chatzos? I think because the framing of when and where we say Kapitlach uh, of Tehillim is so important to our understanding of the Tehillim. So many of them are familiar to us uh, because of the way that we situate them in our liturgy. We talked about Mizmer Shir Chanukah Sabayis David last week, and that becomes significance in the way that it's situated in our morning tefillos. Um, similarly, to sing, um, to sing is part of Tikkun Chatzos. To say these particular kapitlach, I think, brings out the depth of the words that are being expressed by David HaMelech here in Tehillim, and shows us how they are tailor-made, uh, which is... Uh, partially the title for this year, how they're tailor-made as songs, psalms of lament, loss, and longing. And uh, I think viewed in that way, the significance of these particular kapitlach become uh, incredibly profound. And by way of introducing that, I wanted to, uh, to mention an article I saw a few years ago. There's a, an online magazine that I'm very fond of. Uh, talks about something that's really interesting, uh, to me at least, which is the interplay of sociology and technology. The name of the magazine is called Real Life Magazine. I believe it's only online. And uh, the few articles that I've read from this magazine uh, are, always, um, are always things that stay with me. So the article I was reading uh, was about something called the off-peak lifestyle. And the off-peak lifestyle is something that maybe I've mentioned before, but it goes like this. It says that in modern life where the times that we get up, the times that we go to sleep, the times that we do things are all very regimented, are all very much uh, according to what the herd is doing, according to what everybody else is doing. It's nine o'clock, time for me to get to work. It's uh, five o'clock, time to leave work. Okay, six o'clock, that's time for dinner. And maybe, uh, maybe around that time, that's when everybody goes to the supermarket also in normal times. Um, that, those are what we would call peak times. That's when everybody's doing more or less the same thing and following the plan uh, that, uh, that is meant for our lives. That's the schedule that everybody follows. And much like uh, if you get on a subway, uh, I don't know if you've done that, any of you have done that in a while, but if you get on a subway, so you'll notice that there's times where it's very busy and then there's off-peak. Off-peak are the times that are not quite as busy. Off-peak can be in the middle of the day when everybody is at work in a normal situation, or off-peak could be very, very late at night. Uh, personally, I find myself happiest, and I find myself uh, being most successful when I'm off-peak, when I'm not exactly following the regular schedule, the regular reg regimented schedule, which is why uh, for me, especially late at night, it helps that uh, I don't go to sleep so easy and I have a hard time waking up. 
But late at night is a very special time because it's as off-peak as it gets. The world is quiet. People are more or less uh, in their homes. They are lucky enough to have them and, uh, and maybe they're asleep. Um, and the world is your oyster then. Uh, not in the sense that things are open, but that the roads are empty and, uh, and the world is, uh, becomes very different. It's quieter and uh, there's room, more room to think when you're not being carried along with the herd, carried along with everybody else. So this article in Real Life Magazine talked about people who have adopted um, entire communities of people who have adopted off-peak lifestyles. I remember when my wife was working in, uh, in the emergency room for a few years and she was doing the night shift so it was very much an off-peak lifestyle when she would be coming out of work and on her way home and doing the the reverse of what everybody else was doing the whole world was waking up and making their way to work and it's a very uh, off-putting kind of way of living if it's not what you're looking for not what you're used to but there's tremendous amount of potential in those moments, potential in the times that the world is quiet or that the world is doing something else and you're not following that. And I mentioned the off-peak lifestyle because really the most off-peak time is chatzos. The most off-peak time is the middle of the night. Now, whether or not we're talking about exactly 12 o'clock at night or we're talking about 12 hours, 12 sha'otz maniot, seasonal hours from the halachic midday, or we're talking about six hours, six halachic hours from halachic nightfall, that's all the subject to a halachic dispute as to what exactly chatzot might be. Be that as it may, chatzos, we're going to assume, is going to be the middle of the night, dead night, um, and that is a special time, and uh, it, it's a dangerous time. It's a time that carries with it a lot of uh, spirit. It's spiritually fraught, if you will. I'll show you in uh, Pirkei Avos. I'm going to share my screen with everybody. In Pirkei Avos, there's a very strange Mishnah, um, difficult to understand Mishnah that goes something like this. I hope everybody can see my screen. Um, very strong, uh, very strong line over here from Chanina ben Chachinai. This is a Mishnah Avas Per Gimel Mishnah Dalit. It says, one who is awake at night, and uh, we would imagine somebody that stirs at the dead of night. Somebody that's walking along the road, walking down that country road uh, in the dead of night or alone. And somebody that turns their hearts to meaningless trivialities. Very strong language that this person is, uh, is taking their life in their hands. All of the Mepharshim, not the Rambam, but all the Mepharshim besides the Rambam point out that this time, this off-peak time, this Chatzos time, this Neir Balayla, and they read this as a chain of events. You're Neir Balayla, you're awake in the dead of night, and you're walking down the road alone. And you turn your heart towards frivolous things. So that's all hamischayev v'nafsho. That's very dangerous. That's very spiritually fraught for you. And they all explain that there's demonic forces at this time. When people leave and when the world is devoid of the living and uh, when people are asleep or not involved in their regular human affairs. So that creates a vacuum. It creates a, a void of sorts. And all kinds of negative and deleterious spiritual entities are able to come in at that time. And be that as it may... Uh, this seems to put the person who's living the off-peak lifestyle or the person that's awake at that time in a pretty scary place. Now, all of us have been there. We've been at times where, uh, where you might stir in the middle of the night, you had a bad dream or you were awakened by something or you just couldn't fall asleep or you woke up early 
and you might go down to get yourself a cup of water. And in the morning, you ask yourself, was I really awake during that time? It is a sort of liminal space because we're not used to what the world looks like at that time when everybody else is asleep. We're not used to what it is to be basically alone. The only person in our household or the only person in, um, the, only person in the neighborhood that's awake. However, despite the spiritually fraught nature of being neir belayla or mahalich bederach yichidi, despite that, it contains in the eyes of many Hasidic masters and many spiritual masters in Judaism, great potential. What you do at that time when you're awake and you might be the only one awake, uh, what, do you do, what you do with the dead of night, uh, especially, I think, because of the danger and because of how fraught it is, that allows you to elevate that time and to do incredible spiritual things with it. And we're going to see that so much so that the Kabbalists with Sfat in the 16th century decided to codify a service, a liturgy, for the person who's Nayer Balayla. And before we get to that, I'll mention that Rabbi Nachman of Breslov is one of the first figures that, that I've seen, at least, that takes this Mishnah in Perkei and turns it on its head. A very well-known Torah, Torah Nun Beis in Likutim Aran, in uh, the first volume of Likutim Aran, Rabbi Nachman explains that Hanayr Balayla, he reads the Mishnah totally differently, or he adds on a brand new parish to it. He writes, Hanayr Balayla Dahainu Kshuhuneyur Balayla Umit Bodeid. When you're awake at night and you are in solitude, but mitbodet over here for Rabbi Nachman is a kind of directed solitude. It's deciding to do something with my solitude, deciding to channel it into positive, uh, into positive valences and into a positive direction. Rabbi Nachman says, what do you do when you're awake in the middle of the night? What do you do when you're at that spiritual off-peak? So what you do is, that's a time to have conversations with God. That's the time to speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we're going to find out later on in these shiurim what exactly Rabbi Nachman has in mind when he's talking about the sicha, the conversation that you have with God when you're awake at night, when you're staring in the middle of the night. But suffice it to say that Rabbi Nachman is not talking about a simple conversation of, hey God, how's it going? But that Rabbi Nachman is saying, take advantage of this time. Use it properly. Take this time and channel it in the right direction. And we're going to see that Rabbi Nachman in a later Torah tells us exactly what that sicha, exactly what that conversation with God in the dead of night is supposed to look like. But certainly we can all, even if Rabbi Nachman is something that's far from us, we can all, I think, it resonates with us all, this notion of being at a time when the world is asleep, when we're awake, the danger that's in that, the sense of liminality, the sense of being in between two worlds. I'm not sure if I'm asleep, not sure if I'm awake. And, uh, and, and how we have directive to utilize Tehillim, specifically Tehillim, to turn that moment into an elevated moment, which is why I want to talk about Tikkun Chatzos. That is, the, that is the time, I would say, maybe uh, it, it, rounding off Rabbi Nachman's Torah and Torah Nun Beis in Likut Maran, that is the time to walk That is the time to forge your own path. That is the time for the person that's living the spiritual off-peak lifestyle to forge their own path in, in serving God, a singular path, if you will. So we're going to be a little bit text-based tonight. Uh, I'm going to share my screen with everybody. And I want to, um, I want to introduce the minhag of Tikkun Chatzos, and we're going to go through a few sources. Um, you might think that this is maybe an esoteric custom, but believe it or not, it appears right at the beginning of Shulchan Aruch, right at the very beginning of our code of law, we have a notion of what Tikkun Chatzos is. 
So the Shulchan Aruch says, or Chaim, the third halacha in Shulchan Aruch, Roy lekol yirei shamayim shehei meitzar udoeg al chorban beis hamikdash. I hope everybody can see my screen. It is fitting for any God-fearing individual to express, to feel pain and distress over the destruction of the temple. And when is that supposed to be? So the Shulchan Aruch is coming on the heels of the tour, the tour of Yaakov ben Harash. Rav Yaakov ben Harash writes in the tour, or Echayim Simen Aleph. This is in the very first Simen in the tour. He writes the following words. So we're talking over here, by the way, lest you think that this is something that's only from the 16th century on. We're talking about something that comes from the 13th century, um, so, or, or early 14th century. So Yashkim Kodim Or Haboker. A person should arise right before the break of dawn, or earlier than that. A person should arise before the light of day. To plead and to, uh, and to entreat their maker. And the one who's waking up should have in mind to align their waking up with the mishmaros, with the different watches of the night. More on that in a moment. Because at those times, in the middle of the night, during the watches of the night, so God Himself, so to speak, God Himself remembers the Chorban, the destruction of His temple, and the Gemara in Brachos tells us that God Himself says, Right? Woe to my children who have been chased away from the table of their father, that God Almighty, who is in Gullus with us, who experiences exile to the extent that we could understand the Shechina, the Shechinta Begalusa, the Shechina experiencing exile with us, out in the exile with us, experiences this Pizor, the diaspora, and the destruction of the temple, that God Almighty also feels this. I'll show you the Gemara over here. I just cited it in my sources. The Gemara is in Brachos, Daf Gimel Amid Aleph. This is at the very beginning of the Torah that we learned. It's at the very beginning of Shulchan Aruch, and it's at the very beginning of Shas. The Gemara says, Amr Yitzchak Bar Shmuel, Mishmei Derav. Gimel Mishmaros Havi Laila. There's a strong Talmudic concept for the fact that there are three watches, that the nighttime from nightfall on is divided into thirds. And each watch is spiritually significant and has things that are happening in the world. Even simanim are given for, uh, uh, signs are given for how we can know that a certain mishmar, that one of the watches is passing. But And during the dead of night, God Almighty cries, Shoig Ka'anri, screams and moans like a lion, V'omer Oy Lebanim, Woe to my children, because of their sins, I've had to destroy my base, and I burnt the, the inner sancta, and they've been spread out in the diaspora amongst the nations of the world. So this is an idea that has very strong foundations. The prayer that a person should daven at that time, if a person is able to focus and to pray at that time, when God Almighty, when I'm aligned with God's mourning for the destruction of the temple, I'm saying kiv yachol every single time as if to say, you get my point. But if a person aligns themselves, if God is crying over the destruction and we're arousing ourselves to cry over the destruction, so that's an extremely auspicious time. That's a, that's a very special moment. That's a, a true elevation of the off-peak 
That's a special time for pouring out our, ourselves before God. Nobody can see us, nobody hears us. It's the ultimate in solitude. Nobody's even awake. Forget if they're even around. It's all about where your heart is. Just a little bit, just a little bit with the proper intention. That's good. That's fitting. That's accomplishing something. So already the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch tell us that the night is an extremely auspicious time for connecting with God and that the language of our connecting with God at time is a language of mourning, is a language of, of lament, is a language of dealing with the fact that we live in a broken world, in a world that since the destruction of the temple is incomplete and is not where it's supposed to be. And by harmonizing our voices with the voice of God as God cries over the diaspora and the destruction that's an, that's an incredibly important thing now we learn this concept the Gemara, the Talmud uh, very early on uh, right there on Daf Gimel but also later on when the Minog of Tikkun Chatzos is being established all of this is learned from the Baal HaTelem, from the Psalmist himself from David HaMelech in Tehillim, in Kuf Yutes Samech Beis, this is the longest uh, chapter, uh, verse 62, in chapter 119, it's the single longest chapter in Tehillim, so, which is filled with some of the most important verses in really all of Tanakh, some of the most uh, famous verses, familiar verses in all of Tanakh. David HaMelech says the following, verse, uh, cha- verse 62, At midnight I arose to give praise to you, because of your righteous ordinances. Mishpatetzidkecha doesn't just mean that David HaMelech is thanking Hashem for how awesome the Torah and mitzvahs are. It's not just that. Mishpatetzidkecha is also a tzidakadin. Mishpatim, shvatim, also indicates it's a language of God dealing with us harshly. Destruction. Midas hadin, the attribute of strict judgment. And it's tzidakatin, mishpatei tzidkecha. I understand, God, that you've destroyed the temple. Now bring it back. I understand, God, why things are hard for me. Now restore my life. Now bring back those broken pieces. Now help me out. This verse right here is seen as, 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 as the or source, as the foundational source of what later on in history in the 16th century is going to come together as Tikkun Chatzos. Uh, just to mention that the Gemara in Sukkah, over here in footnote 18, I won't do the footnote inside, the Gemara in Sukkah and the Gemara in Brachos tell us that David Amalek would only sleep about 60 horse breaths uh, during uh, the night. Very little sleep during the night time. David Amalek was a person who was awake and he would awaken to the sound of his harp being played uh, by the wind. And he would rise at night to sing and to praise his maker. Uh, truly an off-peak lifestyle if there ever was one. And David HaMelech would use this auspicious time when in the dead of night nobody else was around to pour, his, pour himself out to his creator. One might imagine that if, if that's the way that the Gemara, that the Talmud describes David HaMelech in the middle of the night uh, after his short sleep, one might imagine, I would surmise, I haven't seen this written anywhere, one would surmise that many of our Tehillim, many of our Psalms were written at this time. The good ones and the ones that are Psalms of lament and loss and destruction. I imagine to myself, except for the situational ones that David HaMelech wrote, that many of the Tehillim were written during this liminal space when everybody else was asleep and I was the only one awake. We know also there are other Gemaras. Um, I forgot the forgot where the Gemara is. 
Maybe it's Mesechah's Gittin because it's talking about the Chorban. It could be, if I knew more. But it says uh, the Rabbi Meir had B'Shivivusei in his neighborhood was uh, an Amana Echad, Achas, that there was a woman who had lost her child, Nebuch. And Rabbi Meir would align. It's such a beautiful source. Um, you know what? Hold on. Hold on for a second. I wonder if I could find the source because I should have included Kivi Kya Hashem Sur Olamim. I'm just, I know that I wrote about this. Here it is. In Bein HaMetzarim, I wrote an article a while ago. Here we go. Drush Levein HaMetzarim. Ah, it's a Medrash Eicha. Here's this beautiful Medrash, and it's very fitting, so you'll forgive me for my tangent over here. Ma'aseh Isha Achas, Shahaisa B'Shkunaso, Shorabba Gamliel. It wasn't Rabbi Meir. That's why it's important to see the source. There was a woman who lived in the neighborhood of Rabbi Gamliel. V'hayala ben Tishchores. She had a young son who had passed. V'hayisa bochel balayla. She would awaken at night to cry out for her loss. V'hayal Rabbi Gamliel shomeyaz kola. Rabbi Gamliel would hear her crying out for her her own personal loss. He would remember the destruction of the temple. He would channel her grief. He would channel her personal grief into the grief of the Jewish people. Until his, his, his eyelashes would come off. When his students, that's Medrash Eicha, again, right at the very beginning, cry out in the middle of the night that when we say this, we're referring to channeling the Tsar, our own personal Tsar. I should have included this source, to be honest. I wrote this 10 years ago. Wow. Um, we should channel... Our tsar, like Rabbi Gamliel, with the tsar of the world, the individual tsar, we're going to see the tikkun chatzos and the sicha that Rabbi Nachman was talking about when you're neir balayla. The conversations in the dead of the night between you and God are not just uh, are not just to be focused on the destruction of the temple, but it's something far deeper, and that's where Psalms comes in and and illustrates and gives us language with which to communicate this. The Mishnah Brura tells us in Sifkat and Tess on the first simon in uh, on simon gimel on, on the first simon in shulchan aruch and sifkat and tes and yadalif he writes the following roy lekol adam right this is coming from from the shulchan aruch roy lekol yurei shamayim so he says vahamakubalim and the kabbalists herichu meod begogdel maalat kimat chatzos the kabbalists extolled one who is able to arise at midnight ki rabahu it's an important auspicious thing and the liturgy is already written in their Sidurim. Unfortunately, um, unfortunately nowadays, if you look in most Sidurim, I don't believe in the art scroll or in the Koran uh, that there is Tikkun Chatzos printed. If you open up pretty, pretty much any Sephardic Siddur, uh, especially the Sidurim that I was used to in Eretz Yisrael, so you'll find, you open up the Siddur, you expect to find like Berchus HaShachar, the blessing of the morning and the Aleph base. Instead, you'll find Tikkun Chatzos. The Siddur opens not at morning, but in the middle of the night. Um, it used to be printed in many more Sidurim. Nowadays, uh, I think with the diminishing of people who are able uh, to, to, to fulfill this custom uh, and the commitment necessary for this kind of a, a practice, so it, it's no longer printed. Sidurim, at least in the Chafetz Chaim's time, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kohen Kagan died in 1933, so he writes in the Mishnah Brura that it was still uh, printed there 
al pikitve harizal, according to the customs of the harizal. Uh, I'll pause for a moment to uh, to 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 say a little bit of the history throughout Jewish history, uh, based on these Talmudic sources that we saw, these uh, midrashei chazal that we saw. People would, especially during the nighttime, which is dark, and uh, there's the necessity of an extra infusion of emuna and faith in God during the darkness, when you can't see, even in a physical sense, and certainly in a spiritual sense, it's difficult. There was certainly a practice of using that time uh, for a time of mourning and lament and ga'aguim and longing uh, for our for our lost temples and for our exile. Um, it was the custom of many communities, especially in the Middle Ages, to recite keynote. Uh, the keynote, the, uh, the, the lamentations that we recite on Tisha B'av, that are well known to us on Tisha B'av. Many of them were, were later incorporated into the Tikkun Chatzos liturgy. Um, and people would do this even on Shabbos. People would do this even on Yom Tov, uh, that there would always be a time. Now, the Talmud has far more uh, strict notions of what mourning the temple would be. There's a whole litany of discussion, a whole litany of responses in the discussion of Mesechus Kitten on the, right after the Agadah Sachorban, which talk about the different practices. So there were some rabbis that eschewed playing music whatsoever, no music at all. There were some rabbis that did not eat any meat, and there was a, a push, a, 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 a give and take on that, whether or not that was too difficult. Uh, whether or not that that was a minog whether that was a custom that the majority of people would not be able to withstand or to or or, or to practice, um, we see very very strong customs even in Yerushalayim, contemporary Yerushalayim. If you look in Halicha Shlomo, which is a collection of the minhagim and notes on those minhagim, the Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach, Levracha. So there was an old Yerushalmi custom that persists. I believe to this day that within the Chomos, the Yerushalayim Bein HaChomos, in the old city of Yerushalayim, that we should really not have any music, or at least uh, we should, that there is a prevailing sense of uh, what we're used to during the three weeks. And there are people that still, uh, that still to this day hold this custom. We talk about Bonabayas, Visad, uh, that a person builds the house and plasters the wall to leave over a section. All of this is about practically bringing in the sense that there is a void in our lives in the absence of the temple and, in, and, in, and, and feeling the pain of diaspora. Ordinarily, you know, right now, I think that everybody's uh, more or less in a degree of pain or in a degree of discomfort or a degree of confusion and impatience, whatever, whatever, bad, uh, whatever bad words you want to use to describe uh, the current state that we're in right now or the current state the world is in, highly uncertain. Um, but even before that, gullus can be very comfortable. I often say that we live in America still in the most comfortable exile that there has ever been. But, but it's, it, it, it's, it's on us if within that context we don't bring in a sense of recognizing lack, of recognizing not just at a wedding, uh, but, but at all times, and not just when we say benching, which we'll see in a, when we bench in a moment, right? But bringing in a sense of a void, a sense of loss, and knowing that that's not just Tisha B'Av, that's not just the three weeks, but that is part and parcel of Jewish existence. Jewish existence is that schok finu, that the laughter of our, uh, of our mouths that should not reach a tenor where it means that we're forgetting, where it means that we're leaving the Beis HaMikdash behind uh, due to our comfort or due to our forgetfulness. And Tikkun Chatzos is a powerful way of channeling this. The Arizal 
uh, gathered together all these minhagim and in Tzfat during the late 16th century when there was a great awakening of spirituality in Eretz Yisrael, uh, both in terms of Halacha, uh, Rav Yosef Karo, and in terms of Kabbalah with the Arizal, and really in terms of the rabbinate as well from Rabbi uh, Yitzchak Beirav and the attempt to reestablish the, uh, the transmission of smicha. There was a tremendous renaissance in that time in history. Um, the Arizal innovated that it should no longer, people should not mourn on Shabbos and Yom Tov, that is not okay, but that we should combine everything into a rite that includes Tehillim, Psalms, verses from the prophets foreseeing the destruction, and, uh, and chapters from Tanakh, uh, specifically Ishaya and Megillus Eicha. And we call this nowadays Tikkun Chatzos. Uh, I'll show you very quickly um, one source that I didn't include in in our source sheet, I guess that's all meaningless, turns the Priyetz Chaim, which is, uh, which is a work by the chief Talmud and, and probably the main repository of the recorded teachings of the Arizal, of, uh, of Rabbi Yitzchak Luria Ashkenazi, who died rather young in Sfat uh, towards the end of the 16th century. So when, when we see this, actually, I'm wrong about that. The Arizal died... The Arizal died in 1630, in 1572. I was right. Um, not that I was right. I, I just didn't get it wrong. Um, the Arizal, the Arizal's writings are contained in a number of books, but chief amongst them, the Priyetz Chaim of Rav Chaim Vital, his chief Talmud. He writes over here in Shar Tikkun Chatzos. It's four chapters in, in uh, Shar Tikkun Chatzos, the gate of Tikkun Chatzos. L'chein ra'oi l'adam l'shatef atzmo ima. That a person, it's fitting for a person to join themselves, like we mentioned before from Binachman, to join ourselves, or like what we're talking about from Davramach, to join ourselves, or like in the Gemara, or like Rabbi Gamliel with that lady, to join our own personal tsar, our own personal pain with the pain of, of, of God Almighty, Kivyachol, and the pain of the Jewish people, and the pain of the world due to the destruction of the temple and the diaspora. And we partner in that pain, we share that pain, and that maybe allows us to deal with it a little bit better, to express it a little better, or to understand how to cope with that pain and what to do in the face of that pain. A person should nightly increase in, in their prayers to cry, to bemoan every night the wandering of the Jewish people and of God with them. Shu Rachel, we'll get into what Rachel is doing over here in a moment. The Churban Beis Hamikdash, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. V'achar kach lasok betorah, and then afterwards to go and to learn Torah. V'zeu so David Hamelach, and immediately Rochaim Vital connects this with King David and Psalms. Shekol Laila Hayosik Beshiros VeTishbachos LeSayel LeShchina. That we saw in the Talmud that on Gemara Brachos Gimel Amid Aleph and Mesachas Sukkah Chafavam Beis that David Hamelach would arise at night to sing and to praise and to play together with, uh, with, by himself, but alone with the Shechina, alone with the Divine Presence. I told you that was an important verse. In midnight, I arise, round, round midnight, right? The Thelonious Monk album. Round midnight, I rose to, uh, to, 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 to praise you, to sing your praises. Now the Priyetz Chaim and also Shara Kavanos, which is, uh, which is more liturgically oriented, uh, both have the, the full rite, the full order of prayers in Tikkun Chatzos. And, and maybe, uh, maybe I'll elucidate a little bit. Uh, I told you a little bit about the structure, the liturgy of it. Tikkun Chatzos is divided into two parts. The first part is 
And uh, I'm not a Kabbalist, so we're not going to get too much into this. So it's really like a dok v'tishkach, you take it and forget it kind of thing. And it's not going to affect our, our learning about this as we continue. But the two parts of Tikkun Chatzos, it's, a, uh, it's bifurcated between what we call Tikkun Rachel and Tikkun Leah. Uh, one order of Tikkun Chatzos, which is corresponding to Rachel Imenu, uh, my brother explained it to me as this is the more, uh, this is, Tikkun Rachel is for the revealed world, is for that which is revealed in our lives. And Tikkun Leah, which is the second part of it, which is for the concealed world, that Leah was the one who, who is uh, covered up. Now, uh, a little bit differently, just by looking at the liturgy of Tikkun Rachel and Tikkun Leah, the two parts of Tikkun Chatzos, Tikkun Rachel is really direct, intense mourning about the destruction itself. Uh, the Tehillim that we say there, the verses from Eicha and from Yeshaya that we say from Isaiah that we say there are really directly focused on the destruction. And Tikkun Leah, Tikkun Leah is more directly focused on a pining and a longing for and a yearning for rebuilding. And it finishes off with Psalm one thirty seven, uh, Psalm one twenty six, Beshuv Hashem Meshivas Tzion Ayinu Kecholim. Be that. Uh, be that the way, the character of the two parts of Tikkun Chatzos, according to uh, the halacha and according to uh, the way that people follow this minog, is that Tikkun Rachel is recited far less than Tikkun Leah. Tikkun Leah is recited pretty much standard throughout the year, um, but Tikkun Rachel is not said on any days in which there's Tachnun. Tikkun Rachel is not said on Shabbos and Yom Tov, and Tikkun Rachel is considered uh, on happy occasions not something that we recite. Tikkun Rachel is the more uh, rarefied version of it. Tikkun Leah is indeed the one that we focus on. So that is more or less the structure innovated by the Kabbalists of Sfat in the late 16th century. And, um, and we were in the middle of a Mishnah Brura. Um, back, from, back from Tzfat to the Mishnah Brura to uh, Radun. So he says, So this is already printed in the Sidurim, the liturgy, as described in the Priyetz Chaim, the Shara Kavanos, and later on codified and printed in our, uh, in our prayer books. So this is not for everybody. All right, right off the bat, this is a custom and it is not something uh, for everybody. And the Mishnah Brewer makes that clear. Kodem or Misha Eno Yachalashkim, Kodem or Aboker. Somebody who is, you know, after all this lofty spiritual stuff, we come down to practicals. And the practicals is that somebody that's not able to arise before daybreak, somebody that's not Nayer Balayla, if you're asleep at night, that's great and you should get a good night's sleep. Uh, for the rest of us, uh, or for those of us that have trouble sleeping, uh, you know, hopefully we're making the best of that time. Maybe a person is infirm or weak or unable to do so. Or more practically, he knows himself or you know her, she knows herself. If they awaken in the middle of the night, they're going to sleep during the regular prayers, which are more important. Uh, and, uh, and, and obligatory in nature uh, than the supererogatory uh, uh, minhag custom of Tikkun Chatzos, Mutav Lishen and better to stay asleep. This isn't for everybody. This isn't an obligation. This is for people who are able to do so uh, without any risk towards the rest of their spiritual obligations. Churban Beis HaMikdash, the Mishnah Bura says, Kasav HaShla. The Shla was Rabbi Yeshaya, uh, Rabbi Shaya ben Avram Alevi Horowitz, the Shla Kadosh, he lived in Eastern Europe and also made his way to Tzfat, died in 1632. Uh, the Shla 
is uh, a uh, also cited as as proto Hasidic. Uh, many of the Shlaz teachings figure greatly in the Hasidic movement, which would develop a little over a century later. Kasav uh, Shla, the Shla wrote Shebechol Seuda at every meal Yomer Al Naros Bavel during weekday meals as we eat and satisfy ourselves with uh, you know full refrigerators Baruch Hashem that we have what we need. So a person should also remind themselves like a little tikkun chatzos. You should remind ourselves Al Naros Bavel Sham Yashav. Uh, with Psalm 137 and on Shabbos and Yom Tov on days that we don't say Tachnun you say Shir HaMalus B'Shuv Hashem Psalm 126 V'Gomer Va'ikr and the main thing again She'yeda Ma'ka'amar to know what you're saying don't just do this to tick off a box and to say well you know I I, I I say Tikkun Chatzos, or I fulfilled that and I got Tikkun Chatzos points. That's not what it's about. You should know what you're saying. You should know what you're doing. This is because of its supererogatory nature. Because of the hypernomian nature. It's above our regular requirements of halacha and, our, and Jewish law. Because it's bedafka, a spiritual activity, you should know what you're doing there. And you should understand why you're there. Everything follows the intention in our hearts. So I think that uh, I think that we have the foundations in halacha for this minhag. I think we have a little bit of the history of the development of the minhag. I think that we already have a very strong link to David Amelech with this minhag as being the primal one who arose to sing out to God in the middle of the night and who used that. And we also have the concept now of spiritual off-peak and what to do with the time that the Mishnah and Avos told us is dangerous, but that we could channel, like every dangerous thing, we could channel that to immense spiritual heights. We're going to finish with the Zohar. And um, don't worry if you haven't learned Zohar before, it's okay. Um, I don't really know Zohar either. So the Zohar Kadosh um, also gives a little bit of an allusion to this custom as well. The Zohar says like this very gorgeous, beautiful Zohar. Rabbi Yehuda have a Yosef kamei de Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Yehuda was sitting before Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai. Siv. And he says, look at the verse. The verse comes from Isaiah 52, 8. Hark, your watchmen. They lift up their voice. Together do they sing. Now, the watchman over here is similar to what we say uh, based on the verse. The watchman on the spiritual and physical uh, walls and gates of Jerusalem. The voice of your watchman, Nasu Kol, their voice came up. Together they sing. The Pasuk finishes beautifully. It's a gorgeous Pasuk. When you, you, you have the whole Zohar right here. If those who are the watchmen, those who anticipate, who anticipate uh, the Geula, the redemption, and bemoan and mourn the destruction and the loss, right? How could you anticipate the redemption if you don't know what is lost? If I don't know what's missing, how do I know to go find it? How do I know to go look for it? But if I have the voice of Tzofayich, the voice of the watchman, those like Rabbi Gamliel and the woman in his neighborhood, or me in my house in the middle of the night, and you in your house in the middle of the night, and the people in Eretz Yisrael sitting by the tunnels and the kotel in the middle of the night, who are saying to Kenchatzos, or an old Jew that's sitting in the corner of his or her house uh, and putting the ashes on their forehead, part of the customs to, to put ashes on their forehead and to take off one shoe uh, and to say Tikkun Chatzos. So those people, face to face, eye to eye, they will be the ones who merit to see the return of God to Zion. I see over here, sorry, I never like to leave the 
tetragrammaton, the name of Hashem in my, uh, in case anybody ever, for whatever reason, decides to print them out. So that's obviously also a Gemara. Anybody that mourns or bemoans the loss of the temple, that person will merit to see. You have to know it's lost in order to be able to rejoice that it's rebuilding. Rabbi Yehuda was sitting before Rabbi Shimon of Arik Siv, and he, they, they, they focused on this for they, they hark, thy watchmen, they lift up their voice and together they sing. Who are these watchmen? So, so Tzofayich doesn't just mean watchmen, but Tzofayich means to look out to the distance, right? Uh, to Hatzofet, to, to look out to great distances, those who anticipate, inun demitzpa'an a masai, those who anticipate and wait, a masai When will God have mercy on us and rebuild the temple? Nasukol, yisukol mebailei. What does it mean that they brought their voices together? They will bring their voices together in the future. So he says, "My nasukol." What does it mean? They brought their voices. Any person who finds it in their hearts and pushes themselves to bemoan and to mourn the loss and destruction of the temple, that's what they will be able to merit the end of this pasuk. Together they will sing together. Together they will welcome the return of God to Zion. And they will joyously merit witnessing that return. There's great promise. This isn't just a practice because how could you command somebody, hey, now you should mourn. We already said it's not for anybody. But we know that this morning and utilizing this time specifically at night, specifically channeling what happens in the middle of the night, that spiritual off-peak, and using that to focus on loss and brokenness. Now we've started quite big, the loss of the temple and the brokenness of the exile, but we're going to see, we're going to come back to Rabbi Nachman and other interpretations as well that tell us that this loss is not just on the temple, but that this is the most auspicious time to bemoan and to mourn our own personal breaking. The, the Mishkan and the temple in our hearts so when everybody else is asleep and when I'm the only one awake and when I'm pondering the world and when I know that it's a, 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 a little bit of a scary time and uh, you know I'm, I'm worried about what might go bump in the night and, uh, and it's quiet and I start hearing my house make all kinds of noises and, and, I, and the streets are empty uh, something that maybe is uh, almost a universal thing at all times right now to utilize that time is not just Tikkun Chatzos over the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, but it's a rectification. My brother said beautifully, Tikkun Chatzos from the word Chetzi. Chatzos is half the night. It's also recognizing the Chetzi, the fact that we're incomplete. The fact that without a temple, without God's imminent presence in our lives as as as. As, as, as crystallized by the presence of the temple and a rebuilt Yerushalayim, something is missing. And all of us feel that thing that's missing in so many different ways, in so many different forms and avenues of brokenness. By understanding Tikkun Chatzos, we're not quite there, and I hope it's okay that we're focusing on this a little bit, and we have time. By focusing on Tikkun Chatzos, um, we're going to be able to take a look later on and to understand I've culled from the Tikkun Chatzos, from Tikkun Rachel and Tikkun Leah, I've culled uh, a few key verses from the different Psalms, Kuflamid Zayin, Ayin Tes, Kuf Beis, Chaf Dalet, Mem Beis, Mem Gimel, Chaf. I've called some of the most important psukim, excuse me, 
And we're going to be able to see those verses in a brand new light with deep, with the deep power of these verses un- unleashing, they're unlocking the full import of what David Amelch was trying to communicate with these words and why the destruction that's being spoken over here is not just the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, but the destruction inherent in our own lives and hopefully through these passages, drawing the path back to rebuilding the temple and rebuilding our lives as well with the words of Tehillim to guide us. I want to uh, thank 